You're called into your boss's office. When you enter, he closes the door behind you. He starts making lewd comments about your body and shares his fantasies of having sex with you. This isn't the first time. You've already talked to HR, but they've done nothing. So you try to laugh it off, unsure of how to handle this reoccurring situation, but he's relentless. These reoccurring situations make you feel sick to your stomach every day for almost a year. This isn't just a story. This was real life for Tristan Coopersmith. This is real life for the 81% of women and 43% of men who experience sexual harassment in their lifetime. What would you do? In recent years, victims have primarily utilized two approaches in seeking remedy for the sexual misconduct that they faced. Legal recourse in the traditional court system, or sharing their stories in the court of public opinion by way of media. Tristan Coopersmith chose the latter. In February of 2018, Rolling Stone magazine would publish an article detailing the sexual misconduct allegations of Coopersmith, as well as five other women against one of the most powerful men in the music industry, Charlie Walk. None of the women detailed in this article sought legal remedies, but they hoped to share their stories with the world. One month after the article was published, Charlie Walk was forced to step down from his executive role at Universal Music Group. Today, on The Sex and Six, we interviewed Tristan Coopersmith about her decision to come forward through the media. We also interview experts in both the media and legal fields for farther insight on why survivors choose each approach. So, how does a legal option work? Title VII, established by the Federal Civil Rights Act of 1964, makes workplace discrimination on the basis of sex a civil rights violation. This includes sexual harassment in the workplace. Victims of workplace sexual harassment can sue their employer under Title VII and receive monetary damages or protective court orders. State tort claims, like claims of assault, battery, or intentional infliction of emotional distress, often overlap with Title VII claims. These tort claims can grant additional relief to plaintiffs. To get a better understanding of what motivates plaintiffs to file sexual harassment lawsuits, we spoke with Sarah Burns, a plaintiff-side attorney who specializes in sexual harassment and sexual assault litigation. For a lot of them, they want a sense of justice. They want to make sure the person who hurt them did not get away with it. And sometimes a big part of that, too, is making sure that something similar doesn't happen to someone else. Sarah also touched on the different results victims may receive when filing a lawsuit versus taking less formal action, like making a social media post. They really are different, and there's not a lot of overlap. Certainly, if you post something on social media about a perpetrator of some harassment or sexual assault, unless if someone then uses that more traditional legal system, that person isn't going to end up in jail, that person isn't going to end up paying you money, that person probably will remain in their job. 
So, given the benefits of the legal system, why do so many victims, including Tristan, decide not to take their cases to court? In Tristan's own words. But it just, there was no point in me doing it. Like, what was I going to get out of it? I didn't want money out of it. Mm-hmm. I think, and I also didn't care if he lost his job or not. Next, we sat down with Susan Walker, Associate Professor of Journalism from Boston University, to learn why media has become such a popular alternative to the courtroom for those like Tristan who seek remedies the court can't offer. I think the media is providing transparency and accountability in a way that um, traditional legal weapons are not. Um, I I really read with um, kind of disappointment that most of these cases all involved um, non-disclosure agreements, which seems to be the long-standing tool of the legal community to settle out of court. She told us how the media is offering survivors more than they can get from the law. When the New York Magazine published 35 photos of victims who said they were assaulted by Bill Cosby, I would contend that that did more than years of litigation and court depositions Um, in terms of delivering a guilty verdict, most importantly, in terms of encouraging other victims to come forward. Tristan was one of those survivors, encouraged by the Me Too movement to share her story through media. When I went to the Women's March, it's very much a blur for me, except for the way that I felt. And I just had this like, overwhelming sort of emotional cathartic experience and I just had this download almost that was like this you you need to share this in fact Tristan didn't even consider the legal route I don't really know what the law does to Mm -hmm. to support women I know it's hard to prove your case after choosing to go public Tristan would publish her story on a personal blog. What happened next? When I pushed post, I just went back to work. I was like, okay, it's out there. We'll see. And I felt better for the first time. I was like, oh, I don't, I feel better. Something feels different, like in my being. And I went back to work and like four hours later, a friend called me and he was like, you're on the cover of Variety. I couldn't even answer my phone. It was like, you name it, it was calling me. And didn't know how to navigate that at all. One of those people to call would be news director of Rolling Stone magazine, James Newman. He would use Tristan's story as the catalyst for an investigative piece about Charlie Walk. Newman recalled the overwhelming response he received after publishing the article. You know, we published it, I think, around 5 p.m. around on a weekday, it was a Thursday. Um, and it like spread through the industry within like literally within like a half hour. Um, like I was just everyone in the industry was like hitting me up about the story. But what happened to Tristan as a result of her viral story? It was a very scary first week. Like my son had to go to school with security. Like I couldn't go to work. Like it was it, I was getting threats with death threats. Like it was awful. Um, and like, I never could have anticipated that. And thank God, because if I had known that was going to happen, there's no way I would have done that. Sadly, this is not uncommon. Many victims of sexual harassment do not go unscathed when sharing their stories. For many who take their story to the media, 
Threats, harassment, and fear all become part of daily life. You know, you could become the Christine Blasey Ford. You could come out and, and, and do this, and I don't know what her life is like now, but I really feel for that woman. Where do we go from here? Airing a claim through the media can offer a community of support, quick results, and control over survivors' narratives. It also comes with some problems. Women are being harassed and assaulted in every single industry. So if you're like a accountant at some like whatever firm, no one cares that you're being harassed. Or if you're a bartender at a local restaurant or you're a housekeeper, no one cares. So I happen to have been in a really interesting position because I was a part of an industry that people care about. Mm -hmm. And my perpetrator was somebody that is really influential. Media claims also lack the procedural safeguards that the legal system offers. This can have negative effects on both survivors and the accused. Harvard Law School professor Janet Halley talks about the risks facing those accused through the media. This person will get hurt and in unpredictable ways because it's not in anyone's control, but losing book contracts, losing jobs, losing reputation, losing friends, resigning from Congress. Those choosing the legal route can benefit from privacy, security, and the opportunity to claim damages. However, it too has its shortcomings. The legal route is expensive, it's humiliating, it's, it's, st it's stacked against the victim before they even start. We have a lot of work to do moving forward. The media can fill gaps left by the legal system, but it isn't a perfect solution. The law needs to adapt, and it needs to do it soon. I think that uh, we have to find a legal instrument that will encourage victims to come forward. So uh, the best minds of Harvard Law should be working on this.